You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Uh, good to see you at church today. Ah, I love worshiping, guys. I love worshiping. I get lost in worshiping, and everything is clearer when you're worshiping, when you're worshiping God. So uh, that song was played by, uh, uh, anybody see the movie yesterday? It's kind of a fun movie. Anybody? Um, and and they're, they're singing a song um, of original band. I'm a little out of it today, guys. Got a little head thing going on. So if I say something that's weird, just chalk it up. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's played by this group called the Beatles. And anybody ever hear? Who hasn't heard of the Beatles? I just want to bring them on stage right now. And I'm going to talk to them. No, I'm just kidding. We have Miss Kathy, who actually saw the Beatles at Red Rocks. How cool is that? Kathy Lyon. Saw the Beatles at Red Rocks. That would have been cool. But the song was, was help. That's what it is. And, and today we're talking about this message of God helps those who help themselves. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, how appropriate to, to play that song before we talk about help. So there it is. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. And um, Lord, I, I just, uh, I worship you. You're so good. And oh. Lord, have your way in me and through me again. Would you just do your thing, God? And I'm just humbled and I'm really, I, I, I can't be up here unless you work in me and through me. So by your grace, use me, Lord. You're the one who's called me to do this thing. We need to hear a word from you, God. Nothing else will do. Touch our souls, Lord. Go deep this morning. Go to that place where there's hurt and anger and pain and lust. and oh, Go there, Lord, where there's secrets and Changes, Lord, I pray. I pray people walk out changed, just changed by your spirit. Would you give God permission and just tell him, God, change my heart. Make it, say it like you mean it, like God, change my heart. Transform me forever. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I got a lip balm in my pocket. I I don't like to preach with anything in my pocket. So, uh, hey, uh, this, uh, this phrase right here, God helps those who help themselves. Um, anybody ever hear that phrase? It's a, kind of a popular phrase. And, and uh, I, I, was, I, I did a little research on this, and I found out that according to the Barna Research Group, eight out of 10 Americans believe this quote is in the Bible. So I'd like you to turn your Bible, go to the book of Hezekiah, chapter 2. Hezekiah, chapter 2. And look up Hezekiah chapter 2, verse 3. Nobody's looking at their Bible. Hezekiah, H-E-Z-E, Hezekiah. You got it, Greg? Hez, Hez, H-E, Hezekiah's not in the Bible. Um, (laughs) But it's not in the Bible at all. It's not in the Bible, but we we believe that and and we're convinced of that. So so here's where it comes from. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was, was well-known. He, he quoted this back in 1757 in the Poor Richard's Almanac, and he said, God helps those who help themselves. But he goes back even farther than that. It goes all the way back to 620, 564 B.C. Uh, this guy named Aesop, he was a Greek fable writer and a storyteller, and he wrote a story called Hercules and the Wagoner. So here's the story. A wagoner was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way, At last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. And the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. 
So the wagoner threw down his whip and knelt down and prayed to Hercules the strong. Oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. And Hercules said this, Tut, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. First time we know that it, it kind of was written and it was documented there. Um, is it true? Is it true? Well, it depends. Depends on how you see this. Um, depends on your circumstances. Um, here's the problem behind all of this is most of humanity, most religions, most of us, we see our relationship with God kind of like this, these stairs. And, and we approach God like this, and a lot of religions approach God like this. And the idea is, if I'm a good person, if I do good things, I can climb up these steps little by little, and I can somehow attain this righteousness. I could somehow be in God's favor. I could somehow you know, be in this tight circle with God, and I could know his presence. And then something happens. We call it sin. We, we mess up. We we, and we go back a few steps, and then when that happens, it's like, okay, well, how many steps did you go back? I'm not sure, but I feel like I just went back. I was climbing pretty well. I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was doing these things, and this happens. Well, now I'm back a few steps, and I want God's will for my life. Well, here it goes again, and we start climbing up these steps again and doing one thing. Problem with this is you don't ever know where you're at on the staircase. You don't ever know where you're at. And you never feel like I've arrived and I'm with God. And, and, and you know, it's just hard. And it's this idea of I've got to work for my salvation. I've got to work to be a good person. And most of us, this is our picture of a relationship with God. Psalm chapter 18, King David, the servant of the Lord, he sang this song. This is a song to the Lord. Uh, and he's just, it's a song about how God delivered him from his enemies especially Saul. And he says this, David says this, I love you, Lord, you are my strength. Isn't that beautiful? It's just an awareness of where his strength is found. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. Have you been there before? Where you feel like the ropes of death are strangling, are just coming around you, and that circumstance that you're in is just bigger than you, and you're all wrapped up, and you cannot get out of it. It doesn't matter how much you try. Your strength is not strong enough. Your willpower is not strong enough, your intellect is not smart enough, and you just feel helpless. And that's where David is at. Then he says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I, what church? I 
prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Glory to God. You know, God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. Some of you were praying during the worship. God heard that prayer. Some of you prayed last night. God heard that prayer. Some of you came right now to church. You're here, and you have a big prayer request inside of you that's just sitting there, and it's heavy, and God knows exactly what it is. God sees you. He knows your prayer request. He knows if it still has a pulse. He knows whether you gave up on it. Whatever it is, God knows your heart. Last night, um, after worship, um, we had some people that were just singing really loud during worship, which is so cool. And in the back in the green room over here, the worship team and I were talking about, hey, did you hear so-and-so? Boy, she, I don't know if you know this or not, but they can hear you sing. They can, even with, the, even with my, you know, things in their ears, they can hear you sing. And I told them, here's the deal. Those people who sing the loudest, they know the love of God the most. They have not gotten over their salvation experience. They know the cords of death that was around them and wrapped them. They know God has rescued from them, and they haven't gotten over the joy of being delivered from their sins. They haven't gotten over the joy of seeing God rescue them, and they can't help but to sink. They can't help but to sink. David is right here, and he's saying, oh, you're not going to hold me down because I know where I was at. I was helpless. See, a better way to say it in this passage, in this context, is God helps those who are helpless. He hears your prayer, and he waits for you. Maybe you can identify with this psalm. Maybe the ropes of death that are around you has to do with depression. Maybe the ropes of death have to do with an addiction. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe you have anger in your heart that you just live with. Maybe it's pride that just kind of ropes it right around you. Maybe it's something else. But the, maybe it's your finances. I don't know. But there's something that, that is holding you back. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? David asked for help. Have you noticed we have a strange resistance to asking for help? Have you noticed that? I have people that I call on occasionally and say, hey, can you help me out? It takes me a while to get to that point. <laughs> but have you noticed we have a strange... Let me ask you this way. When was the last time you asked someone for help other than someone who lives under your roof? When was the last time you picked up the phone and said, hey, can you help me out? When was the last time you asked for help because you had the cords of death wrapped around you and you knew you were becoming someone that you didn't like in the mirror and you just cried out for help? When was the last time you cried for help then? We don't do it. Kind of, kind of asking for help offends my pride. Makes me feel small. Makes me feel incompetent. Makes me feel inadequate. I should be able to help myself out of this situation. I was talking to someone and they told me how lust has gotten a hold of their heart. And I said, why didn't you, why didn't you call me sooner? Why didn't, why didn't, we, why didn't we work through this together? And why, why didn't you? And, and this person told me, I just felt like I could handle it myself. And that's what happens. That's what happens when when there's this great danger with a problem that starts off as a problem and then it becomes a crisis. And maybe it's 
for example, you're over budget and you, and you know it, and then, but after a while, you don't ask for help and eventually it becomes great debt. And now all of a sudden, all kinds of things are affected because of that problem. Or maybe it was unresolved conflict and you said, you know what, I can handle this myself. And you no longer talk to that person anymore, that friend, whatever, family member, because you left it alone and you thought it's no big deal, I could handle it, I mean, this kind of thing. Or maybe it was, uh, this was, you know, you were hurt in your heart and you know you were hurt and you thought I could work through this myself, but now you're at a point where you don't trust anyone and you have resentment and you've learned that's just your normal now. You're judgmental and you're critical and you're suspicious and that's just your normal now because you neglected it. Or maybe it was a bad habit that you started and you thought this is no big deal, I can work through this bad habit, but now you're addicted and now you understand it's bigger than you thought. Or maybe you're in marriage and, and maybe you started flirting with someone and you thought this is harmless and you didn't ask for help. You just flirted, but now it's become an affair. And now the cords of death are around you and now you realize, what have I done? Or maybe it's sarcasm. You thought this is no big deal and you left it alone. You didn't ask for help. You didn't even see it as an issue. It was fun for you. So you were sarcastic and now you've just left it alone. Now people don't want to be your friends because you're not fun to hang around with anymore. It's not encouraging to be with you. David says this. Here it comes. He reached down from heaven. And what did he do? And, and he rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. See, David has an awareness that his strength is in God. He has an awareness that God is the one who has delivered him. He has an awareness that God has given him breath. And the only reason why he's alive right now is because God rescued him. He has an awareness of God moving in the circumstances around him, and he has this awareness that God deserves all the glory, and I'm here for a greater purpose, and I'm living for him. I'm living for him. Here's a better picture. Instead of a staircase, look at this one. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus reaching down. This, this is based on Simon Peter, you know, looking at the waves, being distracted and falling, and Jesus reaching out and pulling him up. Spiritually speaking, this is exactly what Jesus does for us. Because we could never climb that staircase enough. We could never be good enough. And Jesus is able to save you from drowning. Some of you feel like you're drowning this morning. Jesus is able to save you from the cords that strangle you. He's able to pull you out of that miry clay and set your feet on a rock. He's able to rescue you from your enemies. This is the heart of Jesus. Jesus wants you to have a life with him that is indescribable. Have you ever compared two different lives, the life of a believer with the life of an unbeliever? Have you ever looked at the two different homes, a home that Jesus is the center of it and another home that Jesus is not the center of it? Do you know what the difference is? I've seen both. I've seen both. And let me just tell you, in the home where Jesus is not the center, in the home 
where there's anger and there's lust and there's words that are said and hurled out and there's addiction and there's all kinds of stuff in there where, where all kinds of desires of the flesh just run wild. There is a hardness about that home. There's a hardness. Every day is work. It's just work. And you're always having a dripping faucet. You always have something broken. And the people that live in the home, they just get used to that. That's their way of life. They might blame others for their situation or they might be judgmental about churches or judgmental about whatever. And that's just that life. They are used to seeing stuff on the TV that's not God honoring. It's their norm. But there's this other side that God wants you to experience. And it's a life with Jesus. It's in your home. It's in your heart. And let me just tell you, there's still problems, but the problems are very different. The problems don't pull you down. Let me just say, there's an ease of life that exists for those who walk with Jesus. An ease of life. It's just different. And I've seen it before. Maybe you've seen it as well. I want you to hear this. Jesus still does miracles. He still does miracles. He's not done God is still in the business of changing lives. Here's what Christ has done for us in salvation. Romans says it like this. For while we were still, what church? Helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? Me, you, humanity. While we were still helpless. When the cords of death were wrapping around us and there was nothing we can do, we couldn't think ourselves out of it. We couldn't will ourselves out of it. We couldn't. And while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me ask you this. Do you know you were utterly helpless? Do you know you were utterly helpless? This might be different because some of you think really highly of yourself. But do you know you're utterly helpless? Apart from Christ Jesus, we are utterly helpless. Utterly helpless. I went to this last week, um, this four of the days. I left Sunday night. I got back late Wednesday. I was in San Antonio visiting my dad. My dad, um, he's my um, he's my stepdad. We're not. We have no blood connection. He adopted me and changed my last name, changed my first name too. That's a whole other story. But he and I have had a. We're just like oil and water for many of our years, just different personalities. And I was the first one in my family to get saved, to come to know Jesus. And um, I didn't have a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent or a great-great-grandparent, to my knowledge, that ever walked with Jesus. I was the first one. And and I went down there because his health is not doing well. And he's at a point now in his life where he's, uh, he and I, our relationship has gotten so much better. And I care about his soul. I care about his soul. It's hard for me to think, how could I be a pastor in Colorado and preach every weekend and my own family members going down the wrong road? So I feel a burden to go and just make that effort. And, and I, I genuinely care about him. So he's doing a dialysis three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, four hours a day, dialysis. And now they think he might have a little Parkinson. So I go, I went down there and, and I was with him and I said, Dad, are you, I want to make sure, I want to make sure you're, you're right with the Lord. I just want to make sure, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? And he says, yes, 
Yes, and has he forgiven all of your sins? Have you confessed all your sins to him? And you think, well, not all of them. That's what he told me. He said, not all of them. I said, all right, let's get this. I got to make sure you're right. So while I was talking to him, he's at this point now where he just falls asleep. Like he'll fall asleep for five to seven minutes, and then he'll wake up, and then he'll just act like normal and keep going. So I just said, I'm going to roll with this. So I just read the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 to him. I read John chapter 3 to him. I read Psalm chapter 23 to him. I read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 to him. And I want him to know Jesus. You know, the power of the Word of God, is, even if you read the Word of God to someone in a coma, they can hear the Word of God. It ministers to their soul. So I read to him throughout this whole time, and I prayed with him, are you sure, are you sure? He tells me that, he, you know, he showed me where he's sleeping now because it's easier for him. He's in my old bedroom. And I was in, it's in that bedroom that I came to know Jesus. And I said, Dad, right here, I came to know Jesus. Right here, the Lord visited me right here. This is where it all started. And you're in the room now. You can know Jesus, Dad. You can know Jesus. You can know him. He's been here before. He's been here before. You got to be ready, Dad. You know, our bodies have a way of telling us when our time's almost done. None of us are going to live forever. Sorry to break it to you. All that money you're saving, you're not going to take it with you. I'll just tell you right now. You're not. <clears throat> and he says, yeah, I pray for him again. I want him to know my Lord. I told him, Dad, when you get to heaven, when you get hug Jesus for me, just tell him I love him. Then he said, well, what makes you think I'll get there first? <laughs> I said, all right. all right, Dad, that's a good point. <laughs> I might go there and... Romans says, as it is written. Let me just tell you a, mistake, a, a regret he had, because this might minister to you. He was a big baseball player, and he was a big boxer. So he taught me how to box way back when, and he was in the Golden Gloves and all that stuff, and he was a big, just baseball and softball. I mean, that was his church. And I asked him, any regrets? And he said, yeah. I spent way too much time playing softball and not being with my kids. That was his regret. Romans says, that is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have turned together. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. Doesn't matter what zip code you live. Doesn't matter the car you drive. Doesn't matter your education. All of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, this is a great memory verse. Let's read it together. It says this, For everyone we all fall short Turn to the person next to you and just tell them that's you. Can you do that? Tell them that's you. It's all of us. We all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. We all need it. Spiritually speaking, there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. Even if we put our best foot forward, even if we recycle like every day and, and you don't use plastic straws or whatever, it's, it's just not enough. You volunteer every day. It doesn't matter. We all need the grace of God. My, my niece is big about plastic straws, and I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but I didn't share it with the other services. But she says, 
She said, she said, Uncle Reuben, don't use that plastic straw. You know, she says it like with her face, like, don't. You know what I mean? Like she's envisioning this, you know, the turtle or something. <laughs> I said, I said, sweetheart, I, her name is Lucy. I said, Lucy, I have a great idea. So I got the plastic straw and I put it on my table. I said, Lord Jesus, would you take care of this plastic straw? May not harm any species in the ocean. And then I pluck it in. <laughs> I started, she's like, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> I said, don't you have faith, Lucy? What's the problem? Ah, it worked. <laughs> all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That, filthy, that term filthy rags is quite strong. The word filthy in the original Hebrew language, it means this. The bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. The word rags is a transition of begged, meaning a rag or garment. So here's what it really means. These righteous acts are considered by God as repugnant as a soiled feminine hygiene product. That's what it means. Paul said this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. In the Old Testament, when you read about animal sacrifices, whether they put a bull or a lamb or a goat or whatever it was, um, that animal, there was something that happened between the one who offered and that animal. And it was the substitutionary sacrifice, but it also represented the sins of that offender. So it's like all, the, all that person's sins was on that bull. All the person's sins was on that lamb. And, and when it was consumed, it was like they were being consumed before God with that fire. That's why Romans chapter 12 says, um, that we should be a living sacrifice to God. We are the living sacrifice on the altar. We should be holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable act of service. And here, God's word tells us that God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. He never sinned, but on the cross, he took on the weight of the sins of the world. So that, say so that with me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus created this new human race. Has nothing to do with whether you're black or brown or red or white or whatever. Has nothing to do with that. It's those who are in Christ. And after the ascension in the book of Acts, you see a whole new race that started and it, it crosses over all kinds of cultures and it's those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have confessed their sins to Christ, those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Those people are living a distinct life of righteousness because they're in Christ Jesus. Their decisions about what they watch, what they listen to, how they spend their time, their faith, their prayers, it's all unique because they are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you? And this word says here that we become the righteousness of God. Crazy. The whole step thing, 
doesn't work. But when you experience Christ saving you. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast or brag. You have nothing to brag about. I have nothing to brag about. This word says it's by grace. And it's through faith. And it's a gift of God. Jesus is the one who reached out. So spiritually speaking, God doesn't help those who help themselves. Spiritually speaking, God helps those who can't help themselves. And he pulls them up and he rescues them. Something happened on Friday night you need to know about. We have a Friday night recovery group that meets here in this building at 6.30 every Friday night. You're welcome to join it. Guys with all kinds of recovery issues, addiction issues. So <clears throat> this, uh, um, they were meeting on Friday night and there was a guy walking outside the doors Something inside of him said, I need to go into church. He was on his way to the liquor store. Did you know we have a liquor store? I don't know if you know that or not, but they have a liquor store out there. And, and, and he was on his way to the liquor store. So he turns in, he turns in and he finds our group of guys that are meeting there. It's a recovery group. He's an alcoholic. And he walks in and the guys are going, hey, 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 kind of thing. And they start talking and he starts telling them how he has all this anger inside of his heart. He wants to hurt someone, a specific person. And he tells them how angry he is inside of his heart. And he just wants to, you know, get that person. And he was on his way to the liquor store, but he said, something inside me said, I need to come into church. And he walks into these guys And it just so happens, one of our guys there, his name is Adam. Adam was there, and Adam recognized him. The last time Adam saw him was 10 years ago. And Adam sees this guy, and he's like, hey, hey. And then eventually the guy recognizes Adam, and they they, they talk. and, And then this guy says, just three days ago, he was in jail. And someone in jail told him to read Deuteronomy chapter 28. You know Deuteronomy chapter 28? If you have problems with being obedient to God? If you think, (laughs) read Deuteronomy chapter 28. The whole chapter is about the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. It's that whole contrasted life that I talked about earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 20. So he tells him, uh, a guy in jail told me to read this and now I'm here. And the guys just finished reading John chapter three and they said, well, let's read Deuteronomy chapter 28 together. So they all opened up the Bibles and a couple of them said they just opened it right to Deuteronomy chapter 28, like miraculously. And they read Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's a long chapter. Every single verse. And afterward, God was doing something in the heart of this guy and in the heart of our men. And this guy, this guy talked about his heart and where he was at. And the guy circled around him and prayed for him. And after it was over, Adam spends another hour and a half with this guy and tells them you need to surrender yourself completely to God. You need to surrender your heart to God. You need, and they talk an hour and a half about this. And Adam, when they leave, he doesn't take a left to go to the liquor store. He goes with Adam, and Adam takes him home and loves on him. Yeah, you can put your hands together. 
Do you see God moving in your life? Do you see how God moved in this situation? What are the odds? This guy is walking by, going to this liquor store at this time, on this day, and he's going about to go in, and he says, something inside of him tells him, go inside, and he meets Adam, and they read the Bible, and they pray. Do you see God moving like that? That's what God does. He's in the business of changing lives. God's agenda is way bigger than your agenda. Way bigger. Your world is like this. But God has a bigger plan. You know, when you give yourself to Jesus, he'll use you. He'll use your life. He'll use you. Check this out. Jesus knows our address. Jesus knows our address. He knows what's happening and what groups and when church is at. And he knows. Jesus knows our stinking address. <laughs> he knows our address. It's so cool. We're not crazy. <clears throat> Lord, help me this. Sometimes God says you got to do something, though. Sometimes God says, all right, you know enough. You need to do something. Exodus says this. This is when Moses and the Israelites were at the border of the Red Sea. Verse 13 says this. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord because rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And verse 15 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? What does it say? Isn't that good? Jesus is saying, you know what? You've prayed enough. You got to move. He's heard your prayer. You have to take a step. Think about this. If they didn't get moving, they never would have seen the miracle. If they didn't take a step, they never would have seen the parting of the Red Sea. But they had to take a step. They had to put action behind their faith. St. Augustine says this, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. There's a time. There's a time to take action. There's a time. Proverbs chapter 6 says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Isn't it cool how God says, look at this bug. I want you to learn from this bug. Look at this bug. Lazy bones. Say lazy bones with me. Lazy. Learn from their ways and become wise. Learn from this bug. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? How long are you going to be looking at that phone? How long are you going to be looking at Facebook? How long are you going to be watching that TV? How long are you going to be playing that video game? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The writer of Proverbs is saying, look, don't be a lazy bone. Look at the ants, how they work. Take a lesson from these bugs. 
and they, they, they recognize every day is important. See, if you want to do great things for God, you can't just sit on your spiritual sofa and eat chips and salsa and like do nothing and say, God, use me or God, do something. You can't just like say, God, I'm just going to sit here. You want to get a promotion at your work and you don't work any harder and you don't put in the hours, but you say, God, give me the promotion. You've got to do something. You've got to take action because when you take action to your face, God does crazy things in front of you, but many times he's just waiting on you to move. He's waiting on you to, to make a decision and do something. Craig Rochelle, he does this leadership podcast and I listen to him quite a bit. Our staff listens sometimes, but he did this one called Five Secrets of a Superior Decision Maker. And in it, he talks about indecisiveness and why are we sometimes indecisive? And I just wanna share three reasons why sometimes we're indecisive and we do nothing. One is too many options. It's easy to decide between four or five things. You can weigh them against each other easily. But when you have a, a whole bunch of options, it's difficult to make a choice. It's like going to a restaurant and they give you like a whole book that's an inch you know, thick for the menu. And you're like, good night. This, this is a huge menu. I should have taken an orientation class before I came here. I don't know what to order. And you just say, I'm just going to wait for the server. It's like that. The other one is the illusion of perfection. While we see every bump and scrape and bruise in our own lives, we often see the highlights of everyone else's and we're afraid of making imperfect decisions. So we become paralyzed. And then there's this decision-making anxiety that we might have. What if I get it wrong? What if I make the wrong decision? What if a better decision comes around? What if I make that decision and my life is like horrible? And what if I make that, you know, what if I, what if I say yes and then I'll have to do it? And, but what if something else comes around and, 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 ah, you know, and you're just full of anxiety? So you see, I'd rather not make a decision at all. Incidentally, not making a decision is a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. The rule of St. Benedict says this, ora et labora, ora et labora. You know what that means? Pray and work. That's what it means. When I was in San Antonio, <coughs> I came across Pastor Daniel and, and Car Carolina, Carolina, Carolina. Pastor Daniel, this, this building right here, I, I was in the mom and and, and truthfully, we just ate so many tacos, I was done with tacos. And I said, Mom, I need to go walk. That's the truth. I feel like I've just got, so we went around this lake. Um, it doesn't matter the name of the lake. But anyway, we went around this lake, went on lake. And we, we walked and I prayed with her. And then I said, I want to go back to this church. And, and, and I was going to go before, but I felt like the Lord told me to go later. So I went back and then I, I ran into Pastor Daniel and he knows me. And as soon as I opened the door, he said, Ruben! And we hugged each other and this kind of thing. But these guys are the pastors of this little church. This building right here is the church building that Grace, my wife, Grace's dad was a pastor at. This little building. It was all in Spanish. So when I met Grace... I went to this church. It was after I got saved. I went to this church and it was all in Spanish and I didn't know a lick of Spanish so Grace translated for me but I learned about the Bible upstairs in this little room when this guy taught me the Bible in English and I learned about this building right here is very special to me. A lot of memories here. A lot of memories. But you can see all the work that they're doing. Do you see that white? There was wood paneling they took off and there was a baptismal in the back. They're doing so much work. And he told me, he said, Reuben, it just feels like everywhere we turn, there's work to be done. 
and they're trying, to, they're trying to build up this church and they're giving their lives to this church, giving themselves completely. And he told me it's so hard because like if the light fixture is out, if you look behind the light fixture, you'll find someone who put a whole bunch of duct tape there who tried to make it work. So they were just good-hearted volunteers that said, I can figure it out. So he said, I'm redoing work that was done years ago everywhere we look. And he said, I'm just so tired. And he said, I really feel like God brought you here to this church today to encourage us. And I just want to thank you for stopping and I hear that, and I, all I think about is God is so good. He knows which messengers need encouragement. He knows which faith people need to be reminded that God has heard you. God hasn't forgotten you. God loves you. God cares about you. He knows that prayer request on your heart that is unanswered. He knows what's weighing you down. He sees you, and he loves you. At Thorn Creek, we have volunteers that just work. We did a wedding, I almost said funeral, a wedding yesterday. It's a totally different thing. We did a wedding here yesterday, and we had our, our Levite ministry. That's the, these are the, the people who clean the church. They showed up the day before the wedding, and they, they normally show up only once a week. But they showed up again after. There are modern Levites. You know, and the Levites, yeah, put your hands together. They are beautiful. These people, they're like in the Old Testament, the Levites were used to prepare the house of the Lord. They would clean things, put things in order, make sure the table was in order, the showbread was in order. They just got everything ready, the tent. And that's what these guys are doing. But we have all kinds of other people in the band and, and people in guest relations and working with kids and youth ministry who just work. Here at Thorn Creek, we work. Why in the world did we do five Christmas Eve services? Why did, you know, 30, 40 people commit to coming five Christmas Eve services? Do you think we didn't want to be with our families on Christmas Eve? Do you think we didn't want to open presents? Do you think we didn't want to eat ham and turkey and broccoli and all that? Do you think that was? No, it was about the kingdom of God. And we just recognize that's a special day when the unchurched will likely come to church. So we gave ourselves and our awesome volunteers gave themselves. And this church has people who work their butts off for the kingdom of God. And it's beautiful. Beautiful. James says this, so you see faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is what? Faith by itself? Let me just stop right here. If all you're concerned about is learning, if all you're concerned about is that, if that's the only thing you value is learning, then you really aren't much of a threat for the kingdom of God. You're not. Verse 18, James says it. He says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. So James is saying, you know what? God has rescued me from the cords of death. God has saved me. And because of what he's done inside of me, I do things. I work. I serve him. I volunteer. But I do all this as an expression of what has happened inside of me. 
See, it's not an attitude of, you know what, I'm not going to volunteer. I'm going to hope other people volunteer. It's not an attitude of, I'm going to mysteriously make myself absent and leave before the work is done. It's not an attitude of, what's the minimum amount I have to do? It's an attitude of, I'm worshiping God and I'm going to serve Him. Let me just say this if you call yourself a Christian, I wholeheartedly believe you should be serving God every single weekend in His church. Every weekend. We need people to show up and pray for the services. Can you do that? If you don't like people, that's a perfect place for you. Go in a room by yourself and pray. Can you say hello? Can you serve in a ministry? And if you're just waiting for that perfect, if you're waiting for that burning bush experience, let me tell you now, God is waiting for you to move and he's not gonna give you a burning bush experience until you exercise obedience. And you say, I'll serve some of you need to make that decision. We're never going to be a church of a bunch of fat heads over here. We've got to be a church that says we're going to grow and we're going to learn together. That's super important. We've got to grow in God's word. That's super important to grow spiritually mature. But just as important is you serving, you loving, you acting out by works and saying, I'm going to serve because I love him. You say you have little faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. No difference. You know, the devil's okay with you learning a whole lot of this and not acting out. It's fine. Not a threat at all. The devil's okay with you. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Your faith should produce action. Someone said, don't ask God to guide your footsteps if you're not willing to move your feet. Sometimes we say, God, guide me. But we're not willing to surrender. We're not willing to read his word. God, guide me. But God told you to let go of this and you can't let go of it. You say, God, guide me. But you're not willing to. God wants you to move your feet in obedience to him. I like what Bonhoeffer said. Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. It's all it is. You can dress it up however you want. But it's just simple disobedience to God. What is God telling you to do? Act out in faith. You'll see the Red Sea part. God will do things for you. He will free you. He will set you free. He will do things, marvelous, mysterious things before you. When I go back to my bedroom in San Antonio and I, I tell my dad, this is where I knelt down and the bed was here and I'm doing all this. I had no idea. I had no idea the beautiful life God would give me. But God does that for anyone. Hasn't he done that to you, for you? Do you know that life? Believing alone is not enough. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's a decision. Would you, if, you're, if you consider yourself a Christian and you don't have any action to your faith. Now, what I mean by that is you're not serving on a regular basis. I know some of you say, well, I serve once a quarter. Well, I serve, I'm talking about serving God because of who every weekend. I want to give you an email address right here. Would you send us an email and we'll find a place for you to jump in? It's info at thorncreek.church. Info is spelled I-N-F-O. Nobody's getting out their phones. <laughs> Would you let us know? 
Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Have your way. And if you're ready to know Jesus, would you just say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Take all of me. If you call yourself a Christian, but you're really not, people look at your actions and they have no idea that you're a Christian. Would you just say this prayer? God, today, Jesus, today, I want to take actions to my faith and I'm willing to serve you. Lead me and guide me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church give.